hello hello welcome to the edition podcast i'm really excited well i love all the episodes and all the guests i have on obviously but we've got a guest who's never been on the show before and i'm really excited to chat to him because it's kind of not quite my origin story on the internet but i can kind of relate to it just dare i say a few years later um so rob dunwood hello hello welcome to the show how is it going thank you for having me on oh no i'm so thrilled to have you so for people who don't know Rob, and you really should, he is on the Daily Tech News Show, DTNS, with Tom Merritt and Sarah Lane. And that's where I met Rob when I was on an episode with them doing an, an additional conversation segment. But really, Rob, dare I suggest it, your internet origin story goes back just a little bit further than DTNS, because you've been right at the forefront of blogging, podcasting, all that stuff for a number of years. And now you run a, a kind of podcast-focused internet media business which is really cool and we'll talk about that but let, let's go right back to the start if i can how did you get into this internet media game so i go all the way back to the beginning i think i started creating websites for mosaic this is even before netscape navigator <laughs> existed all the way back in the mid 90s so i've uh you know you know when i was in college that's when you know the web became a thing and you know started playing on it and have just you know started creating websites and it's like oh you can put information out here and people around the world ultimately can see it and that's how i got into it it wasn't a there was no plan it was just this world wide web thing is really cool and oh i can i can go create this file upload it to a web server and then people you know are seeing it within minutes in some cases but usually you know you know back then it would take a you know a couple of three days for somebody to come back and reply on something so oh wow somebody <laughs> you know all the way across the world are replying on this little thing that i wrote and that you know like i said that went from the you know mid to late 90s into the early 2000s when blogging really became a thing and uh, you know i signed up this account for this thing called blogger yeah uh, a service by google i still think they run it uh, I probably even still have an account over there if I were to go look at it. <laughs> I, I think I probably have one buried around somewhere on there. Right. So, yeah, I, I started just putting out just thoughts on phones and tablets and, you know, just technology that I thought was cool. And before I knew it, people were actively coming to see what I had to say about stuff. And, you know, that spawned, uh, you know, a couple of things, you know, it, it, at one point I ran a couple of uh, Blackberry specific websites. One of them was called Remarkable. It's still up. I don't run it nice. anymore. don't have any affiliation to it anymore. And it's basically just like a, uh, at this point in, in, in management mode. But, uh, you know, I was running, uh, you know, that site, I created a site called Celebrity Blackberry Sightings. This is back in the day where any, any, anybody, you know, that was uh, famous with a Blackberry, if you could get a picture of them put them on the internet, literally thousands of people would, you know, log this is in incredible. I had, that. listen, I had my first smartphone back when I was at university, however many years ago that was, I had a, I had a Blackberry. That was my first smartphone. You know, I didn't get, I wasn't a celebrity spotter, you know. Um, I actually got in trouble with, uh, this, this is yes, before I, thought I, actually I was going to ask you about that. Yeah, I got I got in trouble, I, you know, because back back then you didn't really know the rules. You just oh, here's a cool picture and you just put it on your website. It, you, you weren't thinking about copyright or anything like that. Yeah. 
But um, like I said, so I, I launched this, you know, I, I say little site, but it, it was getting at one point probably about a million page views a month on it. So what? About a million page views a month. Just take, This is just pictures of celebs with. This is just pictures of celebrities Incredible. with blackberries. So Amazing. I literally, you know, had a, a form where if you if you were out in the field and you took a picture and you, I mean, these are this is like 2005, 2006 uh, type uh you know, camera phones back then. So if you, if you, if you had anything that you could just take a picture of a celebrity or somebody that you thought was famous with a, uh, you know, that was carrying a, a recognizable Blackberry, send that into me this and we would hilarious. post it on, on the site. And so we would have folks like, I think um, like Evangeline Lilly was really big in the Blackberry. I mean, there's just so many different stars, uh, hip hop artists were really in the Blackberry yeah. back in the day. So any pictures of them that we could get, we would just throw it up on the site and people would come. And like I said, you know, at one point it was getting, you know, 30, 40,000 page views a day over the course of, you know, <laughs> over the course of a month that adds up pretty quickly. That does. So the next question I have to ask, and it's really pertinent actually to the online media today as well, which is something we'll come to, which is how, okay. So you made these sites just for fun, right? That's how mm -hmm. it seems to have started. You didn't go, Oh, there's a niche in the market for celebrities with blackberries. There's a niche in the market for my opinions on tech or whatever, the kind of stuff you do now. But how then, once you realize people were reading this stuff and like it was kind of worth your time putting up because people were responding to it, how or did you even monetize from that point? Did you start earning money? So there was this little thing called Google AdSense. Yep. Yeah. Um, back in the day, and it's, it still exists today. This just little upstart company called Google, and they actually contacted me because remember, I was I was actually creating the, these websites at the time on Blogger, Google's own sure. property. And someone contacted me and says, "You you have a lot of traffic that it would make sense for you to take a look at this program." I'm like, oh, "Okay, no, no no big deal. I don't I don't mind banner ads and this you know and, and that type of thing. If I can if I can make." a few dollars here and there, uh, that, that would be really cool. So I installed AdSense on my, on my two Blackberry sites at the time. And I don't know, probably 60 days later, I, I wasn't even really thinking about it. And it's like, Oh, what's this, <laughs> you know, type, uh, type reaction to, um, wait a minute. Is that, so that's actual money you know, at first I'm like, do I owe you guys something? It's like, I don't think I signed up to have to pay you something because the numbers were not what I was thinking they were going to be. It's like, oh no, this is what we're sending you. So I was like, Amazing. Oh. but this is, so that that's when the light bulb turned on. Like, oh, th yeah. there is, there's opportunities here to monetize content. Uh, you know, back then it was based off of just display advertising display, directly yeah. from Google. This is really interesting because Today, kids that start, and I mean kids literally, you know, teenagers who start, it wouldn't really be a blog now, which saddens me, but say start a YouTube channel or a TikTok channel, particularly on YouTube, I think this is the case because of the ongoing AdSense program and its equivalents mm -hmm. on YouTube. People who start YouTube channels, a lot of them do go in with expectations of monetizing, of getting to that monetization point and meeting that criteria of starting to make money from their videos. And that just wasn't a thing back when you started. The, the dynamic has really changed, hasn't it? Oh, it really has. Videos weren't a thing. 
when I first started. Sure. The, the, the technology you needed to, uh, you know, to, to have videos. This is this predates YouTube. This is mm -hmm. well before Google bought YouTube when I first got into this. Sure. So just online video just wasn't a thing. And you know, Google has since. I mean, they still have their AdSense program. It is. Let me just say this: it is significantly more difficult today to throw a website up and talk about things and generate the kind of revenue that you did, you know, you were able to generate, uh, you know, pre Panda update. So you go back into like, you know, you know, 2004, five, six, seven, eight, nine, those years were really, really good. It was, you know, if you, if you had good content, people came by and saw your content, you could generate a lot with that. Google made some changes as they should have. Um, and that kind of changed the paradigm from a blogging perspective to where it's still, it, you know, still is, you know, quite lucrative for a lot of folks that are out there, but it wasn't as lucrative. So folks started looking for other things. Yeah. Uh, and that, yeah, we that YouTuber phenomenon, I kind of think in some ways it comes from the same place as blogging, that it's genuine and authentic and people have a voice. But mm -hmm. it's also very different. Obviously, it's a visual medium. It's a talk, like, it's obviously different in many ways. I, I started kind of both journal like got into journalism basically from blogging that's how i realized like i love doing that for and you know built I, like you played around with various sites and stuff and it was a really like special time where people could get into that and get stuck into that and yes maybe you can make a bit of money but you could have a conversation and get get your voice out there in a way that's kind of different now because i guess people who were blogging in for lots of people it was like their live online diary now, some of it was, you know, you write about politics or tech or you were around a niche, but it was still your thoughts as they were happening on that topic, not kind of structured journalism in the same way. Yeah, and that's that's literally how I started. It wasn't, you know, th there was no idea of I'm going to put this content together in a specific way where I'm going to go out and then ultimately monetize it and get advertisers to come right. in and want to sponsor my content or, you know, set up affiliate links and right, all that kind right, of stuff. Right. I eventually got into that, but I, I started this journey so early that I didn't. You know, you, you know, you hear people all the time say, you know, you don't know what you don't know. Back then, you didn't know what you didn't know because what you now know didn't even exist. I mean, the, <laughs> the processes were literally, put, you know, being put in place. So I'll, I'll give you an example. Uh, you know, w w my first sponsor on my BlackBerry website was from a company that made BlackBerry cases. Nice. I had never even thought about an affiliate program or anything like that before, but it was a company said, Hey, you talk about blackberries and it looks like you have a lot of people who listen to you talk about blackberries or write about blackberries at the time. Would you be interested in talking about our particular case and putting it in front of, you know, in front of your audience, you know, we'll make it worth your while. That's literally how I got into it back then. It was them coming to me. Whereas today, you know, the, the people are going into it's like, no, this is what I want to do. I want yeah. to actually get to the point to where I'm being sponsored by this company or sponsored by that company, or I have an affiliate program, uh, you know, with your know, affiliate relationship with this company or that company. Yep. It's, it's actively the way people are doing business today. Oh, and like people who are, a lot younger, you know, I'm, I'm 36 and people who are 10, 20 years younger than me are going in 20 years younger than me going in with that mentality of, I, if you look at all those surveys of like asking teenagers or whatever, what they want to be influencer comes right, right, right at the top. Doesn't it? Uh, yeah. I believe, you know, here in the United States, 
that might be the number one aspiration for young people is uh, to, I think it is, uh, yeah. is, is, is to be an influencer. Right. Uh, which is, I mean, very cool. But first of all, not everyone can do it because there's not enough ad dollars and affiliate dollars and frankly, eyeballs and listeners to make that happen. Yeah, I, I think that's part of it. And w- one of the things that I think a lot of people end up doing is that they, they get weeded out very, very, very quickly. Mm. Um, like, you know, I, I'm really into podcasting these days. You are, the, you are many different shows. Yes, the, the, the average, I, I want to say, uh, you know, there's some numbers out that, you know, to get to seven episodes, half of podcasters drop out before they get to seven episodes. Yeah. And there's certainly a thing about getting to 10 and getting to a year of podcasting. Right. So, you know, you figure if everyone who starts a podcast, they don't even make it to episode seven. And then from seven to 20 of of the half that dropped out before uh, episode seven, I want to say it's like 70 or 80 percent don't even make it to episode 20. Yeah. So uh, that's what the podcast. And I don't know the exact I don't keep the numbers for 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 vlogs or for YouTube channels um, on the top of my head, but I would imagine that the numbers are somewhat similar there because yep. it's, it's one of those things to where I think a lot of people, they, they don't understand the level of skill and expertise that goes into doing something over and over and over again. And I don't want to say that that's not the key, that the case is that anyone can't do it. It's just that anyone that gets really good at it has to do it for a long enough time that they've actually built up skill in it. And I don't know that a lot of people who try it are patient enough to actually get good at talking in front of a mic or being in front of a camera or getting your lights right, figuring out how to create your thumbnails, all those kind of things. So they end up dropping out. Yeah, and patience um, is a key thing. Absolutely. Patience um, and perseverance. You've got to you got to push through because sure. honestly, your first YouTube video is not going to be great. Uh, no. If if you can make it a year, if you, if you could do a YouTube video a week for a year, when you get to when you get to your fifty second video as compared to your first one, you will cringe at how bad <laughs> that first video was. And you should you should get better doing something every week for a year as compared to thinking you're going to come out of the gates and you're going to be Cobby Lane. Oh, believe me, there's no way I'm ever listening back to episode one of this or any other show that I've done. Um, But let's go back to the blogging, because as I say, it holds a special place in my heart. And part of me thinks we're having, maybe this is hopeful, but I think we're having a bit of a blogging resurgence in a couple of ways. So first of all, the obvious one is Substack and other newsletters kind of things, Mm -hmm. which have their origins in blogging. It's a slightly different relationship and way of getting your content to people. But, you know, it's that direct relationship with the reader, quite an intimate relationship. It's meant to be an authentic voice. And it obviously comes from a place where blogging also came from. I think there's a reduced frequency in newsletters as compared to blogging because bloggers used to produce content day after day after day, where often newsletter Mm -hmm. writers maybe do one or two newsletters a week. Some do every day, and I don't know quite how they do it. But anyway. So there's obviously that. And actually, there was a thing that Substack released recently saying that they were part of the blogging resurgence. And I get that. But also, we are seeing sites that have both maintained their uh, status. You know, I'm thinking Daring Fireball in the world of Apple, which, you know, John Gruber continues to produce content that people want to read. Uh, There's all sorts of other blogs, aren't there, that people still go back to day after day. And I kind of think we're heading back to that world where people like those kinds of websites. Maybe I, I'm too optimistic because I have just not that long ago uh, started a, 
a blog for the edition related to the newsletter and podcast. No, I, I think you're on to something. Um, and I think the, you know, the industry is kind of on to something. So in, in my opinion, here's what happened. People like me who started off literally in the 90s blogging before there was even the term blogging, but we're mm -hmm. just creating these journals online where we're just writing. Ooh, I just checked out this new, um, you know, this new trio or this new Palm Pilot or this new device and you're writing about it. There is no expectation that people are going to monetize this site for you. There's no expectation that you're going to get free stuff from someone. You're writing about content. You're, you're writing about whatever it is you're writing about for the joy in it, you know, um, you know, the, that you get from writing about whatever it is you write about. Yep. And I think what happened to blogging is that it became, oh, you can make money off of this. And that that happened to me. It's like, oh, there's a way to monetize this. If you write your content this way, it's going to bring in more views. You'll get more clicks. You can help me make more money. And it became a revenue generation uh, model. So as Google and other companies said, okay, well, we're, you know, how, how are we going to monetize this? We need to get better. We need to make sure that we're putting the best content at the top. It basically be, you know, writing just because you like to write didn't necessarily get your content in front of people. No. When I, when I was writing about blackberries, it's all kind of broken language and slang and stuff that I'm using in there because I'm just writing. Like I talk the way that it comes out of my head is the way that it went into the keyboard. And people didn't care about that because they were no. just, they, they weren't trying to monetize me. They were just looking, Oh, this guy talks about blackberries a lot. Let's that's go see what thing. he has to say. It was and, authentic. That No, that that's where it comes from. Wasn't it a place of authenticity? People right. wanted your voice. They wanted to hear what Rob thought. Exactly. So that went away with just being able to make money off of these things. And I think what started to happen is that with the, uh, you know, the advent, you know, newsletters have been around forever. They literally sure. have, you know, this is not a new thing, but they seem to a lot of people like their new things. Well, that's but the I hilarious think, thing, isn't it? Like there's yeah. nothing less original in digital media than an email. That's how was the first ways we started to communicate online. Like exactly. Is, <laughs> but, yeah. I think what has happened is that people started writing their newsletters like they were writing blogs. I'm not writing this to, you know, number one, generate revenue from it. I'm writing it because this is just what I feel about this particular thing. And I know that there is a community out there of people who want to know what I have to say. So I'm going to put this out once a week, twice a week, whatever the cadence is, and kind of go from there. And now you're seeing your sub stacks, you're seeing your, your beehives, you're beehive. seeing your, your uh, convert kit is even trying to, you know, go, move into the this area to where okay let's let's actually get these people who aren't putting out the newsletter to where it's just an advertisement for the new pair of shoes that they're offering or the or, or for the new pair of jeans or discount for whatever service let's actually make it easier for these creators these content folks to actually write put their stuff out and get an audience to come in and actually you know be interested in that and of course those companies are then going well how can we now monetize that of but course. i think that that's why you're seeing a lot of this stuff comes back because some of these some of these newsletters they look exactly and they read exactly like blogs did 10 15 years ago oh for yeah. sure but sites that you and i would call blogs are also coming back to prominence i think because I read a brilliant article. This is what got me thinking about this a while ago from Max Tanny at Semaphore Media. And he wrote this whole piece of looking at the kind of back to the future nature of some of what was going on in digital media. So he notes in this article, which I'll link to in the show notes, uh, you know, Drudge is still the biggest political website in the US. Mm -hmm. Jonah Panetti is still 
trying to build the Huffington Post homepage. There's people like Matt Iglesias, Andrew Sullivan putting out daily posts. There's uh, the DC tip, you know, Mark Halper's DC tip sheet. There's, yes, there's that. There's also obviously that thing, which as you rightly say has been around for ages, of sending content via email to people. But like, if you're starting to think again about homepage traffic, niches, blogging, you know, updating your site regularly during the day, that that's, stuff has never changed in some ways. We think it's all original, you know, YouTube and TikTok and everything, but that's kind of back to the future. And people who like it really like it. For a lot of, quote unquote, I'm doing the air quotes, people can't see me right now, but for a lot of unquote <laughs> bloggers, they never stopped writing. Right. It just became more difficult for you to find the stuff that they were writing unless they were writing for the algorithm. So yep. what has changed now is that a lot of these folks are writing in the same way that they always have, but their traffic isn't necessarily dependent on Google's algorithm sending them views. It could be that they've built up a newsletter over the years that could have tens or hundreds of thousands of people on it. And every time I put out a new piece of content, you get a you get a notification in your email saying, Hey, here's a new piece of content. Here's what, you know, here's a, you know, a snippet of what I wrote about, click on this link and then come over to the blog and, and pay attention. So, um, and this, this is kind of the case for me as well. A lot of my, you know, you know, back in the day, hundred percent of my traffic was driven by search engine sure. today. It's probably less than 50. Interesting. And what we talking newsletters, uh, we're social, um, we're, we're talking newsletters. I am just starting to get into social media. Sorry. Um, you have been kind of nuts. right at the start of all these different trends and moments in the internet. Why are you only just doing social? So and what to, do you mean to, by that? To, to be completely truthful, I have always had accounts on social media platforms, but I, I generally have never tried to grow the accounts from a personal standpoint. Like I, I literally just got into building my own personal brand probably in the last couple of years. Um, so folks, they may have seen stuff that I've written. They may have seen content that I've created, but it was never as Rob Dunwood. It was always as bloggerpreneur or side hustler or, you know, you know, from this particular podcast or from that particular podcast. It was never it was never me. And that's something that is, I think, is changing. So, you know, it's, it's, it's funny how as right as Twitter was being bought by Elon Musk, mm -hmm. that's what I got into Twitter. I, I've always had an account. But I literally would go years in between postings on Twitter. Um, I, I I probably hadn't logged into my Facebook account in probably two or three, you know, maybe since before the pandemic until maybe last year. Um, so I just for whatever when you reason, really needed something to do, you know, I I just really never got into it. You know, there was a time when I was fairly, um, you know, you know, I was fairly I had a decent presence on Facebook. But Facebook, because, uh, you know, Meta is a company that is trying to generate revenue, sure. the reach that I want, you know, that I once had, I didn't have for free. So it's like, okay, I have to go pay Facebook in order for people to see my message, or I could just figure out some other way. I, you know, like, let me just get them on my newsletter and not, you know, not have to deal with Facebook. So um, I moved off of Facebook. Snapchat never made sense to me. I still don't yeah, have a TikTok Rob, account. I hate to break it to you. I think you and I are not the vibe for snapchat i think like i think i'm at least 15 years too old for snapchat i think i think we're just gonna have to call that one a miss 
I, I have I have tried multiple times, and it's just like, why am I on here? Why why am I, you know? It, it's, it's nothing where people who are into it are into it. So I, I don't take yeah, that away like from it, them at but... all. It just it just it just was not the thing for me. So li- really, in the last eighteen months is when I have started to truly pay a lot of attention to social media and see things that you can do. And this is someone who's saying, I, I've had Instagram accounts that have had 30, 40,000, um, you know, uh, followers, but it probably was 20 or 30,000 bots that were actually following me. And it was like, you know, you put, you, you get, you got 30,000 people and you put a piece of content out and you get 16 people that actually like it. Yeah, well, real people engaging, is, yeah. you know, is, is that, you know, is that juice worth the squeeze? That That's yeah, kind of yeah, how yeah. I've always felt about it. And yeah, that's interesting in terms of that's where kind of we always think digital media is now but I I slightly want to return to this back to the future idea because obviously given the thing I'm trying to build with the edition it appeals to me I hope it's true that newsletters blogs are the way things go obviously I love podcasts and it's pretty clear to me that podcasting can continue to be a positive industry to be in but in terms of the kind of written online content independent online content obviously there's tons and tons of newspapers magazines bigger brands producing online content but in terms of the kind of independent even one person shows how do you think now people can build something sustainable if they want to be to coin your phrase a bloggerpreneur do you think that's still possible in 2023 um i i do it it's let's have a let's have a consultancy session so i i do i do believe that it, it is possible but you're going to have to take advantage of social media. I, I don't think you can do it without a social media presence because if you are simply just relying on a search engine, and it doesn't really matter which one it is. You know, Google clearly is going to be the you know primary one you're going to target. But being in other, you know, you know DuckDuckGo and all the other ones that are out there, if you're relying solely on search engines to send you traffic. Um, you're going to be waiting a while. It just, it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of search engine optimization. There are people who have full-time, very, very, very well-paying jobs that all they do is figure out how can we actually put these keywords and these sequences in the right amount so that these, so that these algorithms will ultimately pick that data up. I think that if that's the way you're trying to attack blogging, you're going to you're going to, you know, you're going to face some frustration if the goal is to grow fast, if the goal is to simply put content out and get your thoughts down and have people react to them in, in whatever the time frame is that they react to it, then, you know, you can do that. And as I said before, a lot of bloggers never stopped. It's just that their content kind of, you know, kind of disappeared because the, you know, the Googles of the world wasn't putting it in front of folks. Yeah. So I think today, even though I'm someone who's saying that I'm just now kind of coming around. Yeah, I, I didn't media, like to say, but... <laughs> Um, you know, I, I do believe that that is one of the mechanisms that you would have to have because discoverability is, you know, is something that has to happen in order for lots of people to see your content. So whether that be because of search engine sends traffic to you because you, you rank well for a particular keyword phrase where somebody is searching for something that you've written or someone is searching for you. And you, you know, clearly you've, you know, you've done some search engine optimization on your site. So when people search for your name, they're going to be able to see the things you've written or you've got a following on social media, yep. um, you know, on social media, particularly in things like X now, I think threads, Instagram is kind of getting there, but 
these are text-based mediums. So if you are getting a following from people, you know, seeing you write something that may be 250 characters on one of these platforms, the context is so similar to a podcast, not a podcast, to a, to a blog, that you literally may be able to drop a link in your profile and somebody say, oh, I want to continue this conversation on their actual website and see traffic from there. So I think that today as a, as a content creator, you know, in a, in a, in a text medium where you're, you know, you're actively writing stuff on a web page, you're going to need some tricks to get people to be able to see it. You know, search engine optimization is definitely going to be there, but I do believe that the social media is a mechanism that you can use to get people in front of your content. Yeah. Which of course brings you back to battling another algorithm. It might not be Google's, but you're battling right. Meta's algorithms, X's algorithms. Well, Instagram, which obviously is Meta overall all those things you're back to battling algorithms but i guess that is the way it always was or you've written something that's it's inflamed so many people that you go viral and you end up they end up finding you that way and see and, and here's here's one of the reasons i say this because it is it's difficult for a your, your own blog when, when you think about you have your own blog this is this is you at your domain name.com mm -hmm. this is this is this is you this isn't a social media platform that has an algorithm that is designed to draw people to you know to the platform and then to send people to the content that the platform is thinking is going to keep people on said platform your content is literally just sitting there so the algorithms that work for you just out on the open internet are generally going to be search engines and as we've sure. talked about before the way that the, you know the market has gone these search engines they're ultimately trying to make money so they're trying to put as much content in front of people that is going to generate revenue for them as they possibly can so from just a you know from you generally don't hear a blog post went viral you hear that a youtube video went viral yeah. well here's the thing about youtubes every single youtube video that is a youtube video is on youtube every tiktok video that is a tiktok video is on tiktok Every Instagram video that is an Instagram video is on Instagram, but every blog that is on the internet is on whatever domain you've created. And there is no central repository that is collecting all that and driving people to you other than the search engines that also have a mechanism where we're going to drive traffic to the ones that's going to ultimately generate revenue for us. That's such an important point. I'm so pleased you raised this as we come to the end of our conversation because it's so important. Content creators, as we think of them, are ultimately at the behest. And we've seen this recently with different monetization things when there was monetization about shorts and changes to links in shorts. And we've seen these rows recently. If your whole business is based on YouTube, Instagram, whatever else, you are at the behest of them. Now, the likelihood of TikTok disappearing, at, well, sorry, TikTok could disappear overnight. We'll, I'll mention that in a minute. But mm -hmm. the idea of YouTube disappearing overnight is obviously very unlikely. It is a very stable platform in the US. It's fine. TikTok, we did see serious stats to it, and people had bought, built their whole creator business around TikTok. And that could have been taken away from them overnight. And they do not own that content. That is on a platform that they have no say over. If you own, as you say, rob at bloggerpreneur.com, that is yours. Yes, you obviously have to use some software, WordPress mostly, but there's other platforms as well. But it's still yours. It is much that it's still, it's like a Word document, like you've written it in Word, but the document is still yours. Mm -hmm. 
Whereas that content is not yours in the same way on any of those platforms we've talked about. And I think people have slightly lost that in this talk of the modern current creator economy. And I think that is another thing that is so special about blogging. It's your site. It's your content. It's your business. It's just like it's your baby, right? Yeah, it, 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 it is. It is yours. And one, one of the things I preach is that. You know, I'm, I I never tell someone, oh, you don't need to be on this platform or that platform talking about social media, because in some ways you kind of do. But if, you know, I I cringe when I see people say, oh, follow me on Twitter, follow me on Instagram, follow me here, you know, other places that that, that is it's OK to say that. But do you also have an email newsletter? Do you also have your own website? Because if Twitter or, or should say X, if they change their algorithm, your traffic could go away. If you know, it, we, we're, we're seeing right now an enormous number of YouTubers who are being affected by, yes. um, you know, by, you know, th their ads revenue is simply going away. And YouTube has actually said, yes, we know this is not your fault. So we, we feel so bad for you, but they still haven't done anything to do to correct the issue. Uh, and it's just like, it's, there's really nothing you can do. It's like, we're no longer going to pay on yeah. this type of revenue until this gets figured out and we haven't figured it out yet. So therefore you don't get paid. It's a row about tra over what traffic is legitimate or not or something. Isn't it, it? I haven't it, delved into it. I'll have to do a whole blog or newsletter or show on it because it's a huge issue, but. Right. It is. It, I mean, it, it's, there are a lot of people who are in a bad way because they're seeing 80, 90% of their revenue right. just go away because they were getting paid a certain way on that one platform. So uh, that's why that could happen on a blog, right? Something changes that people don't see it or advertisers change how they're paying or affiliate programs change. Obviously nothing stands by itself unless really you're getting completely direct payment from your readers. And even the one, go on. I was going to say the, the one difference when it is your own uh, website, when it is your own email newsletter, when it when it's something that you that you create, you have the opportunity. If if you are on, let's say you're using Mailchimp and Mailchimp isn't working for you, you still own your email. You could you could very easily move from Mailchimp over to ConvertKit and you still have your email. Nothing changes as far as your users are concerned, but you can move from platform to platform. But you can't take your YouTube users or followers from YouTube somewhere else. No, they have um, to find you. They have to find you there or you've got to convince them to go to the other place where you are. Yeah. So for me, it's always a big thing that you want to have as much control over your following as possible. And when you're on a platform like a blog, that is ultimate control because WordPress, if that's where you were to create it or, or Squarespace or, or, or Wix, they are not generating their revenue by running ads against your content they're generating their revenue by you paying them monthly to use their service and as long as you're not breaking their terms of service your site's generally going to be up unless they have some type of outage but they're not controlling who comes to your website who sees your website they're giving you the ability to control that so that's where your newsletter that's where you're on a podcast that's where your youtube video you can always say and go check me out at xyz.com where you can find out more because you own that thing and that really can't be taken away from you. Yeah. it's put, um, And obviously Substack, I always think of is somewhere in the middle because yes, it, what it is, you're basically using someone else's platform to produce your newsletter. It's their payment system. 
it's their soft, you know, it's their distribution method. That's what Substack provides. But mm -hmm. your point about owning the mailing list is also really important because you still do that with Substack. And so I think in some ways it's quite a good middle ground. But yes, owning something something.com is very important. I quite like Substack for a lot of reasons. Mm -hmm. And there's and then it's there is the uh, you know it, there's it's a bit of a walled garden. So if you're trying to do exactly. things outside of Substack, it can be you know a, a bit difficult. And I think from where I've come from, having had traditional newsletters literally for decades now. Um, it just never made sense for me to, to to really go hard at Substack because I'm always trying to integrate them into something else. But Substack has figured something out. People Correct. like to write. They like to create this content. And it's not about trying to, you know, you know I, I want to create a, you know, a, a blog that is, you know, that I'm com competing with Condé Nast, you know, type magazines. You know, I, I don't want to compete with Forbes. I just want to write what I want to write. And people are interested in what I write. They can get to my content very, very easily. And we could even do a paywall. So if you want to get to my extended content, you can do that. And ultimately, you know, you know, pay a little bit, you get a little bit more access to me. And people are building they're building legitimate businesses yes. on top of Substack doing this. So I'm, I'm but very can also uh, interested leave in Substack. Doing. Yeah. But also have the right to leave Substack and take their followers with them as opposed to hope their followers follow them. And that's Absolutely. very important. That is, that is hugely important. As we said earlier, you cannot take a YouTube user off you. of no. youtube and put them into something else they have to physically go create an account there but you can absolutely take your email list that you've built in substack and go to another email service provider load it up there and have you know and send out the same type of email to the same you know it's, it's not it's not the, a different user it is exactly the same email address that you were sending out to in substack and that is something that you know that that's basically because you have a level of ownership over that uh, over that list as compared to you're basically just borrowing whatever list you have inside of YouTube, inside of Instagram, Facebook. inside of TikTok, what have you. Yep. Well, I could talk about all this stuff with you for ages and maybe we will off mic, but I'm going to have to say for now, thank you so much for joining me on the edition, Rob. Where are all the manifold places where people can join you normally? Well, I am uh, th these days. I'm really big into podcasting, so you can find me in a couple of spots. I am, as you mentioned uh, at the beginning of the show, I'm one of the co-hosts over on Daily Tech News Show. So just DailyTechNewsShow.com, you can find me there uh, once or twice a week. You can find me on Daily Tech Headlines, which is also part of the DTNS network, three times a week. And then I've got my own podcast, The Tech John. That's The Tech J A W N, where we talk about technology. It's a weekly podcast where we talk about technology, but we do so through the lens of, you know, African-Americans, you know, one of the things we say is that, you know, uh, you know, technology hits communities of color differently. And, you know, what the Tech John does is we try to actually showcase how there may be some differences, how things, how AI affects us differently in, in some ways. And we try to dig into that that you wouldn't necessarily see in some of the mainstream sites. So that is the Tech John, the Tech, J-A-W-N.com. We'll link to all of that in the show notes. I can't believe we've had this whole conversation. We haven't mentioned AI because one of the things I was going to say when we were chatting about blogging and uh, you know personalization is in a world where so much content is going to inevitably be generated by AI, genuine AI, genuine voices from writers and podcasts, I think are going to become really, really important. So people feel that connection with quote unquote real people. So that uh, we could have a hold it. Maybe we'll have to have oh, you back yeah. on and uh, we'll have yeah. you on again I and we'll chat all about that. Oh, absolutely. I would love to come back on. This is the one thing I'll say about, about AI. 
if you are generally writing your own content, I don't think you're going to have a problem with AI. I think two things are happening. Um, you know, people who write without AI are going to be battling people who write with it, but AI versus you as a creator, I just don't see that as being a problem because it's just, it, it, it may be one day, but it's just not good enough right now to fuel most humans into thinking it was written by a human. People really read what you read because they want to, they, they want to, they, they want to get your take on it, not a, an amalgamation of the internet's take on it, which is generally what you're still getting from AI. Yeah. Well, it's definitely my take over at theedition.net and you can sign up to the newsletter at newsletter.theedition.net and I hope you do. Uh, obviously, I would love it if you subscribe to the newsletter, particularly a paid subscription, which helps keep this whole show on the road and obviously follow this show and share it wherever you get your podcasts because it really does make a difference. Rob Dunwood, thank you so much again for joining the show and I'll see you all next week. Thank you.